I'm delighted to welcome Stuart Allcroft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant. How was your Christmas, Stuart? Uh, yes, good morning to you, Stephen. Yes, very good Christmas, family, friends, food, fun. What else do you want? Lots of Fs there, but I'm yeah. sure we're we'll up to a fabulous time. Ooh, another F. <laughs> Barry Wood, RTHK's International Economic Correspondent. How was your Christmas, Barry? Oh, it couldn't have been better. It was fantastic. And uh, we've got rainy and, well, chilly weather, overcast completely in D.C., but... It was a great Christmas, and I hope yours was too. Well, it was. What particularly made it amazing, Barry, is seeing your Christmas card with your family on and your <laughs> cute little dog <laughs> on Bravo. the back page. Bravo. <laughs> OK, so question number one. The latest data from the US is showing inflation has decreased for the first time since 2021. Does that change your view on when the Fed might reduce its interest rates, Barry? No, it does not. I think that interest rates are going to remain at current levels probably for the first certainly three months of uh, 2024 and it could be as early as June that they cut rates or they may not cut them at all. But what you cite earlier, Stephen, is correct. The, the PCE, that is the preferred gauge of inflation used by the Federal Reserve, has dipped below 3%, an actual decline in the in the inflation rate over 12 months. That's good news. So I think we've got our soft landing and the U.S. economy is doing very well. And what you said about Christmas buying as yeah. the retail sales figures came out, very impressive. Three percent up. That's been a good Christmas season. Yeah, although they're reporting it in a bad way because expectations were higher and last year was double. But I just guess that was revenge shopping. Well, it was revenge shopping, but don't forget, we were just coming out of COVID. Exactly. And so were you. So, you know, people, uh, once they were told it was okay, they spent their money. Boom. All those savings we made over COVID. Stuart, what are your thoughts? Um, well, I'm with Barry here. I don't, think, I don't think it's going to change very much how the Fed will deal with interest rates in the next uh, 12 months. Although I, I do note that um, the market is saying that some of the futures markets are betting that the Fed will cut interest rates six times in the next uh, 12 months. Wow. Well, that seems way over the top as far as I'm concerned. I don't think the Fed will take any, any move until maybe uh, May or June of, this year, uh, of next year. They want to see how the economy um, weathers the storm, which continues to go on in, in different parts of the world for of war and action, and then, of course, see how the um, election in the U.S., presidential election, starts to pan out, who will be the candidates. I, I, I just don't think the Fed will do anything. Um, it doesn't have to do anything. It just needs to sit there with its, um, uh, with its policy makers just sitting and doing nothing um, for the first few months. And then as we, as we see the economy pan out, then maybe they will change their mind. Maybe they will cut interest rates. I mean, there's still a prospect they could increase interest rates, although uh, Jerome Powell has indicated that that's not in his plans. But if inflation were to start going up from these low levels, um, then, then, then that would be his policy action. And, Stuart, what do you think? Do you think the candidates for the election will be Biden and Trump? Or are you like Barry, not so sure? 
I'm far from clear as to who will be the candidates. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> Biden and Trump are the two leading candidates, and both will tell you that they're fit enough and suitable enough to be candidates. Uh, but they're about the only people in the world who think they are suitable for the yeah. candidacy. Well, I would love to be <laughs> fit enough for US presidency candidacy at their yeah. age, to be honest. OK, let's move on to the mainland, which has introduced new regulations on video games. Many people say it's this kind of thing that puts off investment in the mainland, which is contributing to the slow economic recovery. What do you think, Stuart? Well, I would think that many parents will be delighted. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, what, what the mainland is trying to do is to cut the amount of uh, time spent and money spent by... Um, uh, gamers in the U in, in China. Apparently, there are over 600 million gamers in, in China, and so that makes it the biggest market in the world. And inevitably, if there's any any action taken to restrict, slow down, or prevent usage of video games, that's going to have an immediate impact on on the manufacturers and distributors of them. And that's exactly what has happened. But to be honest, I think many parents will be delighted because most of them get terribly frustrated about how kids play games all the time and they don't understand it. Um, and, uh, and, and so maybe this is a good move, not a bad move. Well, I, I guess you're good for parents, but putting off other industries and companies coming into the mainland China after oh, they see regulations you know, like I, this. I, I, I don't think this move in itself will have any impact whatsoever on consideration of investing into China. Okay. Um, the political or geopolitical tensions have, have, will have far more impact um, on, on institutions and money managers about whether they'll put money into China. So, Barry, are you aligned with that and do you see anything oh, similar I'm coming into the Stuart US? I'm aligned <laughs> I, I am just delighted to be in tandem with Stuart. And oh, you, American parents would say exactly the same thing. But, of course, what this reflects is a very different political system. You can do that in China, but you can't really do that easily, and perhaps not at all, in a Western system where, you know, we in the United States or in the UK or in continental Europe would have a great deal of difficulty uh, restricting those hours by decree. And uh, so, you know, I applaud the Chinese on this. I mean, they've got more latitude. They've already restricted screen time by young people. Correct. Uh, and again, American parents would be delighted. But uh, <laughs> no, we live in a very different place. Mm, I don't know. Maybe some American parents would rather their kids be on a computer all the time. It'd be less of a nuisance. Who knows? Now, McKinsey, in a recent report, said South Korea could grow to become a top seven economy by 2040. Do you think that could be possible, Stuart? Absolutely. Uh, the Korean economy is going extremely well. It's, it's, it, it, it's showing all the attributes that Japan did in the, in the post-World War II era of uh, having good investment, good products, um, they're a leading car manufacturer, they're a leading chip manufacturer, they're a leading telephone manufacturer. They have a lot of the um, products that people around the world want to buy, and, and, they're, and they're in a better position to sell them at, at economic prices. So I do think that Korea has a very good opportunity to, to become one of the top economies in the world. Uh, 
whether it's by 2040, as McKinsey are forecasting, or whether it's earlier or later, probably doesn't matter a great deal, but it is, it's up there with the top. So confidence from Stuart, confidence yep. from you as well, Barry? You still on that tandem bicycle? Absolutely, yes. Uh, look, Korea's a great success story. And, uh, you know, I think growth will accelerate there. I'm reminded of the time two decades ago and even longer when there was a lot of concern about a unification in the Korean Peninsula and how much that would cost South Korea to rebuild and, in fact, bring up to standards, the living standards in the north. We don't hear much about that anymore, and I think it's uh, it's all on hold because you've got two countries that are really quite far apart. They don't cooperate. They don't do much together. And uh, so you think of that. Here is uh, half a country, really, and yep. it's racing ahead. So, yeah, yes, Barry, I really applaud right. South Korea. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, this, this discussion about... Uh, South Korea financing the return of the North to a sort of Western-style economy it was very soon after uh, East and West Germany got together at the end of the 90s, and, um, or during the 90s, I should say. And, and, of course, a lot of speculation was how much it would cost. Well, today, it looks as though it won't cost anything because it's never going to happen. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think that's a, a long way away if it yep. um, ever happens, to be yep. honest. So I'm with you there. So I think that's, that's where Korea is in a better position to invest money and, and it is doing so wisely. Uh, and the second issue that is probably worth considering as far as Korea is concerned, I mean, they do have their occasional political scandals, but they seem to have sorted those out quite well recently. And so that means that they can move on and, 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 and become a lot more progressive. OK, let's move on to crypto now, which is in the news. It's looking increasingly likely that the SEC will announce its ruling on crypto ETFs in early January. Now, Barry, do you think they'll approve any of these applications? And how do you see it impacting well, price of bitcoins and other crypto? Oh, boy, I, I'm not going to uh, speculate on that because, first of all, I don't have a clue. Uh, but... I think you're right, Stephen. I think the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, is moving towards some kind of recognition uh, that there is a cryptocurrency, that there is a need for regulation, and that you want some of these companies to be operating openly in the United States. But beyond that, I think it's very difficult to predict. This is, this is a complex issue. You know, the Americans are always lagging behind on this. I mean, you had crypto, you had uh, in Hong Kong, you had uh, this in Western Europe and the Caribbean. The Americans did nothing. But I think it's now coming time for the Americans to at least do something to get these companies in the tandem of having some regulation and operating openly. We'll see. Now, Stuart, I thought of you the other day, because when I was reading Thank The you. Economist, well, I always think of you, of course, Stuart, every moment. Yeah, uh, but sure. I thought of you particularly the other day when I was reading The Economist, and that was comparing crypto to cockroaches. <laughs> I, I think you're probably right to have thought about me at that. This is the way I might think about yeah. it, too. Yeah, and uh, well, I want to make it clear, I wasn't comparing you yeah. to a cockroach. Yeah, thank you very much. Nor the crypto, hopefully. Um, <laughs> I, you know, the whole point of crypto, uh, I still see very little in it. Um, that said, 
the demand from the crypto industry remains as strong as ever. And despite all the scandals, despite all the collapses, there is still a demand out there. And, and now what they're looking for is to satisfy that demand, and particularly for institutional investors who had struggled, who struggled to be able to buy. Um, you know, the U.S. is trying to bring out crypto ETFs. They may be um, preempted by what the Hong Kong exchange is doing, because the Hong Kong exchange, is, or the SFC together with the Hong Kong exchange, are very hopeful of being able to launch something in the first quarter of next year. OK, Stuart, um, I need to stop you there, but I think it was a good place to stop you I'm on the point <laughs> of Hong Kong. Thank you very much to Stuart Allcroft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant. So sorry to butt in there, but you know we have to go for the news on time. And Barry Wood, RTHK's International Economics Correspondent, our listeners and the rest of Money Talk team, join me in wishing you gentlemen a very prosperous new year.